BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today is the day you will lose fat. Come see Dr. T at NJ Diet. Easiest diet I've ever done. It's changed my life. Come see Dr. T. Using blood work and DNA testing. 1-855-5-NJ-DIET and NJDiet.com. Change your life in only 40 days with NJ Diet. O-G Make some noise! My next guest is a veteran of the Air Force, selected as MC Light's next top female MC, and has a lyrical game that can hold its own with the best of them. She's intelligent, and I want to welcome her to the library with Monica. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank <laughs> you. So I want to, of course, start from the beginning. Um, I understand that you started off writing poetry as a child, and now you're, you're obviously writing rhymes. Uh, How did you go from the, the the poetry platform to kind of writing full songs? Um, a competition. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be my pathway. Um I never connected the dots to you just exit like that. Um, I think like maybe my junior, senior year in high school, this um, this guy named Jeremy Seabreeze, he um, was talking about rapping and everybody having a battle. And I was like, oh, that's easy. I already loved hip hop, love music. I already wrote, you know, nobody knew that. I just never did it over a beat, mm. you know? So I was like, okay. So then I went home. I probably used every other curse word uh, that I could think of that was gangster rap back then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And being a teenager, you know, just trying to keep up with the times, but I just began to write. So when I came to class and it was time for everybody to spit what they wrote, I did. And the class was loving it. And I was like, oh, they really liked it. I was shocked, you know. (laughs) So ever since then, and in that moment, I had never written to a beat at all. I just always wrote for myself independently, you know. So once I merged those two worlds, it became very hard to write poetry. Even to this day, I can't write poetry with music on. I need to be silent in a totally different headspace. Otherwise, it turns into a 16. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, 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 this question I was going to ask you later, but um, you... I remember I was watching a performance of uh, MC Light bringing you on stage at the Legends of Hip Hop tour in Detroit, and you, mm-hmm. you blew the crowd away by spinning this acapella verse, which I listened to like 50 times in a row. Um, and, thank you, thank you. No, of course. And, and, it, and you, you just you talked about your writing process now. I mean, and think about poetry, how you don't 
write, obviously, uh, you usually don't write a poem to a beat. Uh, what is your writing uh-huh. process? Do you, I mean, do you need to hear that beat to kind of get into, you know, get, get those bars out? Or would you kind of rather just not have the beat yet and then just kind of write those 16 bars? No, it's, it's actually either, either way. Um, I know when I, when I'm feeling poetic, like if you follow me on Twitter, I'll go on Twitter to say one thing and then all of a sudden I'll start rhyming. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually when you hear that, it's not necessarily bars. It's just me in a moment getting thoughts out and it's, it's very poetic. Um, when I sit down to have a writing session by myself, um, I can either have music on or not. Sometimes music can influence you and take you to a direction you don't want to go. And then sometimes the music can inspire you and challenge you to kind of get out of your uh, comfort zone, you know, and take you down a different way. Because I always say, you know, music is energy, whether people realize that or not. So there is a message, even in just the instrumental before it begins. But um, I, I like it both ways. For a long time, I used to write just acapella and without a beat. And the critique that I would get when I first began writing songs was, all your songs sound the same. And in my head, I would be like, huh? I didn't think so at all. But it's because I had my own natural cadence and Mm -hmm. style that I was comfortable with. So when I wrote Without a Beat, that's what I gravitated to. But once I got the critique and I could see myself, I said, oh, okay, I get it. They're absolutely correct. And that made me more conscious when I began to write without, you know, a beat. But then it also allowed me to say, you know what, let me see where this beat can take me because I absolutely love instrumentation. Like just without whether it's jazz, whether it's country, pop or whatever, I just feel like uh, a great musical sound is just that, you know. So, But I, I think the beat can definitely inspire you as an MC to go in different directions switch up your flow, switch up your vibe, um, your energy, and challenge different words and concepts to come out. Uh, I want to talk more about your music, but first, in, uh, as mentioned in the, the intro, you're, you're not just an MC, but you're a veteran of the Air Force. Um, mm-hmm. What, what kind of drew you to the Air Force, and kind of how, if at all, did your experience in the uh, Air Force help uh, with your creativity as an MC? Um, I definitely think it gave me talking points. Um, my decision to go into the military was because I had seen my brother go into the military. Um, when I Normally when I reference my brother, I don't say my foster brother, but just for people to understand my story, I'm going to use that so that they can get the context of some of the things that I've, I've been through. But my, um, I, I grew up in in foster care probably from the time I was, maybe seven, eight years old, I started in like group homes, emergency foster care homes, going place to place until I got into what they called a a permanent foster home at 10 years old, which means this family has decided to have you until you're grown until I was, I was 18. So that became stability. So this became my, my family. So my brother, who was a, a police officer after he got out the military, he came in and it was just so much honor in the way that he moved. My biological family was very old school. My grandparents was old school, extremely spiritual, um, extremely, how can I say, 
I guess just, just old school, you know, you say yes, you say no, you say yes, ma'am, you say no, sir, and pretty much that's that, you stay in a child's place. All that to say is that when I got into this long-term foster home, that family had some of those same values, and what I liked about my brother was that he had a lot of determination, like he was just extremely ambitious, he could do a lot of things, I was a huge tomboy, and I, I gravitated towards that I wanted to pretty much emulate him be just like him because I saw a lot of myself in him so when he began to tell me about the military and the opportunities and what it felt like to serve his country and how pride how much pride he had because of that in addition to really having that time to say what do I want to do with my life I was like okay so I get to serve my country I get to gain employment I get to be like my brother but more than anything, I felt like I could be an example to my siblings. I could be an example to the hood that I came from. You know, all of the things that I had gone through that brought me into foster care. I wanted to make sure that I had the best opportunity for me to not repeat that. If I was to ever have a family one day myself, and should I not to be a person of influence on my siblings and my extended cousins, etc. So um, I told my foster family at the time, if I didn't start college at the same time that everybody else started, that I would sign up into the military. I said, give me the summer to just kick it and relax. And I said, by September 1st, if I'm not in school, I'm signing my name. So I filled out college applications extremely late. Um, and I got into Eastern Illinois University, but I couldn't come until January. So I was like, oh, no. I'm not getting stuck in Chicago. I'm not getting trapped. I had a big fear of not being left behind or getting stuck in this cycle that I had seen in my community. So even though I could go to Eastern and college was absolutely my first choice still before the military, that fear of being stuck and not being able to break this cycle in my community, I signed my name um, in August, I think either on my, my mom's birthday or around her her birthday. And I went off into the military and it was a beautiful experience and a hard experience at the same time. I mean, I grew, I was humbled. I had people that supported me. I had amazing mentors of all different backgrounds and nationalities. I had people who challenged me, motivated me, helped me accountable and took me under their wings, people who loved me. And I had people who hated me, people who, although we wore the same uniform, my race was always an issue. I was too strong. I was, I was too smart. I had someone flat out tell me, you know, what is it going to take to break you? And my response was, why is that your goal? Why do you want to break me? Mm. You know, and the gentleman stated the sergeant said, because it seems like nobody can get close to you. There's so much that the military gave me, good and bad. And I feel like more than anything, what I got out of it is, A, I would recommend it to anyone. B, I'm glad that I had a prosperous career, an honorable career, um, enough that when I do speak about the shortcomings in the service, that I hope my integrity stands for people to believe that we have a ways to go in our service for protecting women, protecting men, for equal opportunity, um, in progression of rank, but also in just being a minority female. Mm -hmm. Because 
I experienced a lot that I never should have had to. Was are there? Um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this uh, that makes sense. Uh, there's, you know, there's obviously there's hip hop values, right? And there's there's military mm-hmm. values. Um, are h- how or how different are hip hop and military values? Um, like do, when you when you left the military and you mm-hmm. kind of started really, you know, pursuing this, you know, your craft, like really, you know, correct. Yeah, yeah. Did you find any, I guess, conflictions you had with your, with with the with the hip hop values and the military values, or did you find a lot of similarities as well? No, absolutely not. Um, my, to me, the part, even that connotation there, respectfully stated, that connotation there, I think it's misconstrued. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that I even decided to go for the music after I got out of the military is because as a cop in the military, as a supervisor, as a sergeant, my responsibility was to commit to that career field um, first. I was in a, in a job that was 24 hours, anything that could happen. You know, when 9-11 hit, it was banging on my door to get up and recall. Mm-hmm. There was no time for the music to commit, to pursue it in that type of way, even though there were many opportunities that continued to come. I always found myself in this place of, Either I didn't have the courage um, to pursue it, and that was spiritually, and I'm going to connect those dots when you speak of values, or I just I did not have the time. This is what I signed up for. This is what I still love. This was my first commitment. So it was the military. Once I got out, what I found is that maybe I had opportunity to be free and actually try to develop some courage to pursue this career field. The one thing that hip-hop has taught me, because you'll hear me say it many times, after God, hip-hop is what saved me. Mm. When people were unaccountable, when people didn't show up, when people were inconsistent, when life threw me all these struggles, I felt like the one thing that hurt me was music. I felt like I could turn on Pac. I felt like I could listen to, to, to Nas and hear a warrior song about him losing his mother. And he understood the pain of me losing my mother at 16, you know, Hearing people's perseverance, you know, through everything, to me, that was hip-hop. I looked at the people in the industry like they were strong, especially the women. You know, Eve was the only female representing on Rough Riders. I often thought, like, wow, look at that. She's standing on her own against all of these fellas, you know? So it was inspirational. Same thing with the brat, seeing her own her own, you know, with Funkified. I was like... Okay, if they can be that courageous and step out like that, maybe I can too. And then you had Pharrell Monch and you had Mostaf, you had Talib, you know, you had Goody Ma putting out dope songs. You had inspirational hip-hop, you know. Um, and then you also had hip-hop that spoke to the things that either I was experiencing or to think by me personally or things that I saw my community experiencing where the news wouldn't cover it from one angle or people were afraid to speak on it. I felt like that MCs had the actual courage to go there. And instead of you being able to see it in the movies, they brought that life into music and gave you their form of their art. It was aggressive. Um, It was triggering, but it was honest. And I think that that took a lot of courage, you know? So for me, hip hop, I felt like hip hop gave me a voice. Now, where I had to, where the struggle was for anything when it came to value was that 
the gangster rap. I was never a gangster, never claimed to be a gangster. Um, I'm not going to play with you. You're not going <laughs> to play with me, <laughs> you know, but I, I know what I experienced and what I saw growing up as a young girl in Chicago, um, specifically Chicago Heights, the second part of my life. But what I challenged was spiritually, if this was the industry that God wanted me to be in. When I told you I wrote that first rap and it was every curse word that was in there, that was in- intentional as a young adolescent mm-hmm. because I heard profanity and this is how it resonated with me. So I felt like I had to have certain words in there to trigger a response. And while I accomplished that, mentally I felt conflicted. Spiritually, I felt conflicted. You know, it's one thing when you do something and you know specifically why it is that you do it and you're in control of your own narrative. And it's another thing when you're being influenced to do something, trying to create an outcome that you really have no control over because you haven't learned to have control over your your own thoughts, your own heart, your own soul just yet. So for me, part of my transition in choosing to pursue this music when I got out of the military was me literally getting on my knees and praying and saying, okay, God, is this what you have for me? Because these opportunities have come in the military. I'm terrified of fame. I don't like spotlight. I've always hidden it from it. But you gave me this talent. Maybe this is not the platform that I'm supposed to use, um, you know, to express this talent. Or maybe I'm letting fear conquer me. So once I begin to pray and once I begin to write more about the things that I wanted to say and say, how do I want to impact the world and still be artistic at the same time? Because I do think that there is a place for profanity, you know, but understanding that I didn't have to rely on that, Mm -hmm. that my words could be just as impactful in absence of it. Then I became powerful. And then I removed the conflict and I felt like that I can begin the journey of actually pursuing something and mastering this gift that God gave me. Uh, Intelligent, I want to turn to some of your music. Uh, uh, at the beginning okay. of the video, uh, if you ever... Sorry, I know my no, answers no, are heavy. No, your answers, <laughs> are, your, your answers are... No, your answers are, I'd say, beautiful. Uh, I mean, you're, I'm listening to you talk and it's like it's really for me like listening to you rhyme. Um, it's kind of that like your rhymes are to me that are, 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 are easy in the sense of like good on the years, but are complex at the same time. And mm-hmm. you not just are, are lyrically skilled, you, your, your flow and your cadence is beautiful as well. Uh, so I'm enjoying listening to your answers. <laughs> um, and, and I'm really appreciative that you're taking the time to talk to me about everything. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, there's a quote at the beginning of, if you ever doubt it, and it's quote, I am mm-hmm. what I've ne- I am what I was never supposed to achieve. Uh, whom is this a message to? And for listeners, what, what weren't you supposed to achieve? So that's, that's actually from the song Running. And that song is, if you listen to that song, that song depicts, I, I probably wrote that song in an hour from beginning to end. That song goes over exactly how I felt when I was being pulled into foster care. I was a young child. I didn't have a choice. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't view this as a form of protection. What I felt like is that I was losing my foundation. I was losing my mother. I was losing my father. I was going with strangers who were telling me that this was for the best, and I didn't even know what their name was. And there is a stigma that 
I grew up with, um, I felt like that was projected onto me when you were a foster child. I think that people felt that we were less than, that we weren't capable as some others. I think that people treated, treated us as if we, um, as if we lacked articulation or if we were just completely ignorant or I don't know, just like we could not accomplish what other people could accomplish. There was some empathy that was given from, from many, but it will always be, oh, they in a foster home. Oh, that's a foster child. Like there was this negative stigma. So it was bad enough to be a, a, a young girl conquering many things that led me to be in foster care, a, a black child on top of that. But then even within my own community and many communities to have to live with that stigma so much that we actually hid being in foster care, my sister and I, my siblings, other siblings and I, because it was so much negativity associated with us revealing um, that information. So when I say I am what I was never supposed to achieve, from the windy to the west, I rose to believe. A soldier for my country, I chose to take the lead. And now I'm everything you never thought that I could ever be. That was just my cry and my testimony for everything, for foster care. Like I said, the things that I endured, the things that I was experiencing in in, in the foster care system in itself, um, that was graduation, that was the strength in the military, my decision to serve. It was everything. It was my moment to say that at the end of the day, everything that was given to me as a child to break me through Christ, I consciously made a decision to be a leader and continue to push through all of it. It was me saying, you're not going to break me. Like, I may not be the best. I may still struggle because, um, like I said, I, I battled stage fright a lot. So that was included in that narrative um, indirectly. The only way you would know is us having this interview now. But it was my way of saying I'm going to accomplish this by any means necessary as long as it's ethically. But, yeah, and I, you know, I keep um, a wristband with that quote, I am what I was never supposed to achieve, because I feel like in many in our community, um, we often have to accomplish the impossible. Um, and it's just a reminder of my faith that with Christ, it is possible. Mm-hmm. I'm possible. Uh, on the track Lessons, featuring uh, yourself, Farah Maj, Justin Time, and Daniel McLean, uh, you, you, you're the first MC on the track, and you're, you're setting the table mm-hmm. for the rest of the track. Um, when with, with, your, with your verse, what are you saying? I mean, what, what, are you, what, what table, what, what are you uh, setting? Uh, what, are you, what are you trying to achieve with the first verse? But also, do you at all approach a track or how do you approach a track uh, differently or similar when you are being featured on an album, a track and you're the first person writing? Uh, when I'm featured, I try to understand what their end goal is, as in, like, what's what's the message that you have to say? Um, you know, you may want different perspectives on that message, so maybe that's why you're re- reaching out to me. But do you have an overall, you know, vision or concept of what you want this track to be about if you say hey I can do my thing then that's what I do usually people have some type of um, overall vision for it otherwise we're just rapping all over the place and I mean you can have those records too just kind of those you know braggadocious everybody just kind of go in but with this the concept was the lesson is a blessing 
And so I just looked at the last testimony that I went through, which was um, making it through a divorce, relocating to the East Coast by myself, fighting for my marriage for almost two years, losing that battle, but gaining myself and recognizing how much um, Christ is important to me in my life while going through that. Knowing that, like, I can hit my worst and my bottom and almost lose everything and still maintain the character that I wanted to maintain as a woman. So, you know, when I started, I say, I must confess, I was hoping you mattered less. And these lessons with less and leverage is penetrating my chest because the heart of the matter is we never factored the rapture. Lesson in what we vow, we allow for never after. So what I'm speaking to is, I feel like that it takes two in any relationship. And I feel like that uh, while it was my ex-husband that wanted to depart, it was an opportunity for me to use this moment to humble myself and say, what was my contribution to that decision? And what is the outcome that somebody feel that in order for them to be happy, that these two that became one had to separate in order for them to find their joy, find their happiness, find their, their peace. It was a moment of reflection. And as he continued on a path that he determined was best for him, I had to learn that now is the time that I have to respond to what's going on in my life. The last thing that I thought would ever, ever, ever happen, the person who has been the most influential in this journey of music, my best friend, how do I respond to this? How do I find the blessing in that? But that's exactly what I did <laughs> because it's through that journey that I had to become a level of strength that I didn't even know was possible. And the only way that I obtained that was through prayer. I mean, I literally packed up a, tra a trailer, and the day after Thanksgiving, while everybody was celebrating with families, I was packing my home in Vegas, and I put whatever would fit in that trailer, which wasn't much, which didn't include a bed, didn't include a couch or anything, but it did an air mattress, and I drove from Vegas to Maryland. And within like two days, I took a, a pay cut just to live 15 minutes from my ex-husband to show him what these vows meant to me. And, you know, he, he is an exceptional person. I just believe that people hit different seasons in their life and they make different choices. And this is the outcome of that, you know, but who I had to become to conquer this, I mean, it's, it's just been more than a blessing. I definitely came out on the other end right. And I think that God has blessed me and rewarded me with that commitment in that walk for me to say no music, you know, no kicking it. Not that I did that often, but nothing but the focus, but my marriage to fight for, to, to save that. Because I didn't stand before music, you know, and, and say to death do us part. I didn't stand before that job. I didn't stand before that friendship. You know, I stood before my closest family and, and friends that I, I stood before Christ within, and I made a promise to him. So to break that bond, even if it meant contributing to somebody's decision to leave, I had to cleanse. I had to internally assess all of that and what it meant for me in my life and how do I forget what he has to say, forget the outcome. I now have to say I'm here in the outcome. What was it in me? that I could change, you know, even the things that maybe he may not have even mentioned. How can I grow from this lesson? How can I be a better person, a better woman, a better friend, a better sister, a better daughter? 
And that's what that verse was about to me. It's like through all of it, through everything, I never thought that divorce could lead to a blessing or a lesson, not for me, because it's just something that I never envisioned when I took those vows. Intelligent, you speak with, with, you you obviously speak with such passion and love for the craft of what you're doing. And you, you not just hear that in this interview, but you also hear that in all the rhymes that I've heard you've done, you've done. Um, so, but what is your, what's your very favorite thing about being an MC? I'm sorry, you cut off my, my very favorite thing about what? Of being an MC. Of being in music? Yeah, being or in being music or being an MC, yeah. Um, I, think it's, I think it's that I get to express the things that people don't even know that are in me. I, I spent so many years being kind of closed and, and withdrawn, and I think that by me speaking, those who may have known me at a certain point in my life, I feel like here's the part of me that you never knew. You know, um, I had friends that thought it was funny at first when I told them I rapped. And I had to realize that part of that is because you can't accept that I I have this talent and I'm unafraid to use it now. So you think it's cool to not only laugh at me, but call me and laugh at me and laugh at my face. I was also a person who kind of took things really well. So I think that was the comfortability to do so. But I think that I get this place of, expression and passion that I have to share with the world and maybe there's one person you know on on the other end of that who gets it and who can connect to it and maybe inspired by it but I actually I just love it like it is next to me doing well I shouldn't say next to me nunchucks are next (laughs) but writing is just such a place of freedom I feel like it's the one thing in my life that I can control how much that I give to the world. I can control what it is that I say. I can acknowledge when I could have said something differ, different, when I could have said something softer, more aggressive. And I think it's the one thing that challenges me to become more open and have more of a testimony um, to other people. But it lets me be artistic um, as well. I spent my entire life hiding, trying not to be seen chilling in the background because there were so many people who needed that and once I saw that they needed that I'm a natural giver I felt like you can have my seat I don't need it it's cool it's nice from time to time but I don't need it what I need is my faith what I need is my family my siblings my nieces and my nephews I don't need it like that it's enough for me just to be able to be in a moment sometimes but now what I've realized is that I don't have to dim my light for other people. And music allowed me to see that. I don't have to hide for others, including myself, you know, because I do think I hid for myself. I doubted myself. I didn't think that I was capable. Um, I thought maybe I had talent, but maybe I, I definitely wasn't gifted. That felt arrogant to, to say that. And again, that's because I spent my whole life hidden you know, from people consciously avoiding the camera, the spotlight, you know, everything. If I wasn't, you just really caught me in a good mood and on a good day. So music, the ability to write and express that 
I mean, it's just priceless for me. I'm, I'm so thankful for it. Uh, she's an incredible artist, incredible MC. Her name is Intelligence, and I want to thank you so much for joining me in the library with Tim Anika. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.